0: And now, coming to you live from our coast-to-coast trading desk, this is Moby Live, a weekly podcast where we discuss everything about the economy, the stock market, and the market mechanics that power your world. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr Northrop, joined as always by our co-founder and chief analyst, Justin Kramer. Justin, dude, what's good, man? What's life over in the East Coast? It going
1: good, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for the intro. Everything's going well over here. Just uh, another crazy day in the in the markets, whether it's crypto, whether it's stocks. It's been a fun October and November so far.
0: Yeah, Q4 is always, I, I you always love Q4. Like September, I love that September is single-handedly the worst month on the stock market and in crypto, and it's followed up by October and November. Like November's off with a bang. We're right here at close. Once again, we are at the, another a sixth record day in the row for S&P, six positive day, another re- closing at record highs. But like a really weird day, right? Like there's always mixed signals. Peloton's down huge after completely missing sales. Like this is the boring back half of earnings season. We're also seeing Zillow just get crushed as they over-leveraged their home buying business. While in the same vein, Airbnb is up 280%. So just just, just mayhem, man. We can talk a lot about earnings. We're going to talk a lot about crypto today. I think the main news as we think about the market today, as we're thinking about everything, is actually yesterday's news, which is that the Fed is finally genuinely suggesting they're going to actually taper like we're finally going to stop the, the pandemic stimulus rates aren't necessarily going up inflation is air quotes transitory but like transitory in a transitory way i love the very soothsary way we talk about monetary policy in this country so a lot of cool stuff coming out of the fed uh, justin and you have a lot of great perspective there so just take me through what does taper time mean is this the right time to taper and is this going to help take some heat off of the economy right now
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. And whether the Fed does it versus what they're signaling is a completely different topic. You've seen them kind of start over the last several years saying, and we tweeted actually like a pretty funny infographic about this saying, I'm going to think about tapering. I'm tapering. It's on its way. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And then it never comes. And so this is something they've been alluding to for a while. Um, They've been pumping up the economy like through quantitative easing for years now. And so in theory, it should start happening soon. They should start raising interest rates. Whether that happens, I think, is anyone's guess at this point. Um, but in theory, they're starting to signal. It. And assuming they do do this, then we have some serious implications for the stock market, for the crypto market. Um, if they start raising interest rates, we wrote a piece on this the other day. For for anyone who's a premium member, there is a really good chance that tech valuations continue to to get hurt. We're at all time highs right now for for valuations, and if This continues to happen. We'll see more and more of a rotation into cyclicals, financials, other areas that are typically do well in a high interest rate environment. And then on the inflation side, it should be interesting to see what happens um, with a lot of uh, of different stocks as well, Um, especially within the crypto world. Inflation, in theory, should spell more adoption into the crypto world. And we're starting to see that now. If it continues to run rampant and it, it gets to the point where the stock markets hurt, I think that will be the inflection point to say, okay, there's really no correlation or there's a negative correlation or, you know what, the stock market tanks and so does crypto. I don't think there's really enough data either way to like point in either direction yet, um, but those are two like major factors that are going to like really influence the next several years of the stock market and the crypto market.
0: I think that's the most important thing to consider right like the main thing we're seeing is like we've been talking about tapering coming for almost a year now we've been We've been seeing just all of this money get poured into the economy and thinking Oh, that's bad and not really understanding what that means and the only answer to those questions is hey we're going to only be able to know this on a very long time scale, right? So it's really important to keep that in mind. Like, we can keep speculating, like, tapering may not necessarily cause a correction any more than inflation could. Like, you've got kind of two very interesting um competing forces right you've got inflation and you've got just the need to taper and seeing just where that that piles in so it's very interesting to see how that's going to affect our investments moving forward name of the game as always is going to be volatility but you did allude to crypto so we're experiencing some very like like not necessarily the same kinds of all-time highs we're used to in crypto bull runs like eth is up in a weird way compared to bitcoin and there's a lot of the we finally had shiba just not necessarily. Shiba's not done, but it's definitely corrected a bunch, so maybe there's a chance it'll pop back up, but like we're seeing a lot of a lot of blood coming out of the the meme coin space. So, Justin, just just your views there. Obviously, Solana's still up. Solana's on a really interesting like consistent 3-day rise. What what are your thoughts in the crypto space then as we sort of think about well, monetary policy in the US is about to get kind of wild and kind of nutty with it. So, what are your thoughts in terms of how crypto is going to perform in this new kind of environment?
1: Yeah, no, it's uh it's a really good question. And I've had like a lot of conversations with a lot of people on this topic whether it'll continue crashing or continue like pushing up or come crashing down. It's it's in a very interesting point right now. So when you look at like historical bull runs and using 2017 as like the most recent example, crypto surges up. It has like these week over week spikes, and a lot of it was retail driven in nature. And so when it eventually crashed back down, there was like a, a long lull period and then 2020, it starts picking back up. And then obviously 2021, it's been an absolute explosion ever since. You know, this time around, it's a little bit different because a lot of it is actually being led by mass adoptions at the institutional level. And so when you start having ETFs approve and you start having other ways that the the real big money can start accessing it in like a safe way, that's when there's tailwinds that didn't exist in 2017. So with that adoption for sure. It's hard to say this is like an apples to apples comparison with us a large run up, there'll be a large crash down. So that's one one side of the equation that's kind of like making us think that this bull run is is not, is is in in its infancy. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't get that one out. Um, but on the other side of the equation, you have prices being as high as they ever as they've ever been. The market caps are real now; they're not in the millions. They're in the billions and the size of the market is is getting really big, and price runs like this typically can't last forever. And so predicting day-to-day movements is really tough. And for day trading, that's something that we do talk about in Discord all the time. For very short-term fluctuations, there's good buying opportunities. For longer-term trends, in terms of saying Bitcoin, Solana, any coin is going to be at 50% of its value or 150% of its value, in the next two, three months is tough to say because trends change so often. And so it's a long-winded way of saying, we've continued to say this for years and we will say this for years to come. We fundamentally believe in crypto and we fundamentally believe that the prices are going to drive significantly higher over the next decade. But over the next few months, if you start getting involved and you start investing, if it comes crashing down, don't be discouraged. This is something that's going to be a generational investment, not a, a year investment or a two-year investment. So you have to be thinking about this for a severely long period of time. And then on the shorter stuff, on the trades and things that we call it all the time, those are things where you can be a little bit more opportunistic, but there has to be like that bifurcation between um, between your short-term trades and kind of that long-term, if that makes sense.
0: Exactly, and for me, crypto is a really great place to start thinking about the concept of day trading because you're going to have far more understandable swings. Like rather than a, like rather than a two percent swing, you can ex- you can see something as wild as a seven percent swing in a single day in a particular asset class, right? And it's it makes it that's what drives a lot of the excitement in the crypto market because you can have a debt you can have a very dramatic day where Bitcoin or Ether are up fifteen percent, and then two weeks later have an equally dramatic day where you say it's the end of the world, Bitcoin is down twenty percent, yada. yada. Yada yada. But I think the interesting thing you ply here is that it's a actually a generational investment. and there is a lot of this volatility right now that makes crypto very interesting, but it's one of those things where you can play the low and slow game. You can add it into your portfolio during these bull runs and then kind of think about the best places to you know take profits and then add during a bear market if it continues. But I think uh, this is actually a question that came in from the audience. When we think about all this institutional money, this is genuinely a game changer, right? And I think a lot of people might not think about it in the right way. People think, okay, institutional means lots of money, which means price go up a lot more. I have eight brain. I love it. But I think, I guess the main question is, Justin, when you have institutional money, does that increase like the volatility? Does that cause like the price of a crypto asset to go up even higher and then crash even harder? Or does the amount of money that institutions bring to the table act as kind of ballast? So it drives the price up, but drives it up slowly and helps kind of stabilize the market over time. Does that question make sense?
1: Yeah, and no, honestly, the answer is a little bit of both. So when you have like, say I'm making this number up, but when you have what's called retail investors in developed countries the amount they're putting in 1% of their wealth. I mean, the totality of that really pales in comparison to 1% of a country or major institutions around the world putting in 1% of their wealth. And so when you look at like major funds around the country, the amount of assets they can pour in and subsequently raise the price just absolutely dwarfs what the retail level can do. So like when, for example, if you're looking at like the Harvard Endowment Fund, which is one of the largest endowment funds of the world, Um, The size of the fund, I think, as it was last measured, was at $53 billion. So imagine they put in 1% into crypto. The Yale Endowment Fund does. the Different endowment funds around the world, different pension funds. The amount of assets that then get poured into crypto relative to what had been done historically is just so drastically different. And so when you look at Bitcoin, and it has a market cap um, in the trillions now, pouring in an additional 100 billion 200 billion 300 billion has substantial effects in terms of the price rising conversely it has the same effect if institutions decide to pull their money out and so right now while there's a hot market a lot of institutions are trying to involve ETFs are giving people easier access but as soon as you know these institutions they they have different mandates they can't have year over year negative returns they have certain risk functions that they'll have to trim it If they start pulling out their capital like in mass, that's when you can start seeing runs on coins that even if there's wide scale adoption in the longer term, these short term fluctuations are inevitable based on just institutions rebalancing their portfolios and just like this mass amount of money moving around. So to answer your question, it acts both as a tailwind and as a headwind and just does create and adds more volatility to the market for sure.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And it's one of those things where we we have to consider it and like understand that, like, even though, yes, the the Harvard endowment has billions of dollars. And if they put 1% in, you know, that both a can add volatility and add ballast, if you think, well, they're not going to move it that quickly, it's just as easy to move, you know, pull, uh, uh, move around in crypto. If you're a large whale investor, as it is, if you're a small one, so keep keep that in mind. If you're trying to use the argument, oh, this adds me- this adds ballast, this adds stabilization to the price. Not necessarily. Like we're still in this generational shift in this very bizarre period where you know we really aren't going to know how crypto did until 10 years from now and it's just one of those things where uh, invest cautiously invest carefully but invest with a long-term perspective and you're going to win don't try to if you want to day trade do it as a as a hobby style thing with a hobby style budget you know and that's that's one really interesting way to play it when we think about other news and trends, we're thinking about sort of like money changing hands and sort of like people getting the upper hand and lower hand. Obviously, Zillow has been in the headlines a lot um, with this very just incredible just... First, they completely run up the housing market in several neighborhoods, then over-leverage themselves and now literally drop I buy as part of their whole thing. Their shares are crashing. Uh, we don't need to like, you know, dance on graves or anything, but you had a very interesting tweet today, Justin. And then after that, more... Uh, um, shares in Opendoor started skyrocketing. So just what, what do you think about sort of the, the way the housing market is shaking out with like these algorithmic players coming in and for, in Zillow's case, completely botching it, driving up prices for no reason and then having to sell for like really, really low levels. And now that Opendoor is having um, this kind of resurgence before their earnings call on the 15th, I think, like how does how does that play into the overall housing market? Like what, what are your thoughts there in terms of Opendoor's po- like uh, strategy here? And how, how do you feel that kind of works moving forward?
1: Yeah, no, it's, good. it's a really good question. And I think what people don't realize is how, and obviously everyone knows real estate's a massive market, but they don't realize how big the opportunity is for companies like Opendoor. So the the global real estate investment market is around, I think it's around $10 trillion. And so when you look at the amount of like revenue opportunities that a company like Opendoor can get, like there's not, when you think about Tama of an opportunity, there's not really that many um, there's not really that many like different parts of the market that is that big. And especially for companies that are in terms of nascency, like how early on they are to the market. And so Zillow obviously historically has been more of a marketplace platform connecting users um and connecting brokers. And they moved into this i model, and a large part of their like stock run-up over the last year or two has been really largely due to like the hype around like this whole entire business model, which was the same thing as open door. And so with them just dropping out of the race, you saw open door fall like I think five or 10% over the last day or two. And it was a lot of skepticism thinking, okay, well if Zillow can't do it, can open door? And so fast forward today, the answer from the market has been without a doubt, yes. The stock price is up over 10, 15% last I checked earlier today. And the CEO of Open Door has come out and more or less has said, no surprise here at Zill can't do it. They are pronouncing earnings next week. And he alluded to a very strong earnings call. I'm very hesitant to trade the stock around earnings, given like the the valleys and the spikes we've seen over the last year. But based on a lot of the commentary that's come out of his mouth, I would not be surprised to see them report some monster numbers. And if they can do well, and even if they don't do well, but they allude to doing well in terms of outlook for the next several years, the opportunity for this company is so ridiculously massive. And now with one less competitor in the market, I mean, they have they have the opportunity to be like a generational company that I just, I don't think that they're getting the talk that that they that frankly should right now.
0: It's really interesting how Zillow really owned the conversation, right? And just like Open Door has been kind of an afterthought, and it's really awesome seeing them kind of come into their own. And it's also just watching a lot of like smaller companies that, you know, really weren't, you know, big, big considerations really come into their own right now today as well. Like, we're watching all these supply chain issues and everyone saying, hey, you're going to need to do your Christmas shopping super early. Etsy is up 13% off of just massive sales numbers as A, more people join the platform because of the pandemic to start their own businesses, and B, people kind of of like leave these supply chain woes behind and seek out better places to get gifts for their family members or more personalized products. So that's really awesome to see. Um, even uh, one one big as we get into the like the back half here, man. As we sort of. Uh think about um, audience questions. One main thing we're seeing is a lot of people trying to think about some of the earlier calls we've made. Um, and one big call that you made back in 2020 was Moderna. right? Moderna um, absolutely skyrocketed off of their incredible mRNA technology. And one thing we're seeing today after their earnings call Ah, uh, there isn't as much uh, demand for the vaccine uh, as there was before. So sales are down a lot. So I believe moderna's down something ludicrous, like sixteen percent post uh, uh, post market. So is moderna the kind of company that only exists during during a pandemic situation and as vaccine for vaccines for va- vaccine demand for covid nineteen goes down? Is moderna just going to kind of quietly, go back and be a normal biotech player, like basically half the stock price? Or do you see this more as a a buying opportunity slash value play? Not to put you on the spot, but just like your high-level thoughts there, man.
1: No, no, it's a a good question. Um, Moderna just came out of nowhere in the last year, obviously due to like the COVID-19 vaccine, like the efficacy, everything that they were able to do and like accomplish in such, such a short period of time was outstanding. And so there was obviously a lot of hype that was built into stock. And as they started adding in, more mRNA vaccines and treatments into their pipeline, they started getting more hype and the stock has just continued to kind of rise in value. And so there's an interesting like dynamic at play right now where the stock is doing well because of like, COVID-19 and how successful they have been and will be. And then slowly, in part, it's also due to the hype around the drugs going forward. And so the numbers came out. I mean, they weren't bad, still doing 5 billion in sales, Three and a half billion in net profit. And then when you look at other companies, they're only trading at 7x. And Apple, for example, is trading at like 30 to 35x. And so I think that discount is pretty wide. And like, obviously, they they shouldn't be compared against Apple, but their valuation relative to other biotech players and other companies out there, I think, is discounted relative to what it should be. And as production starts moving back up and there's more. Like initiatives around the world in terms of getting the vaccine distributed, I think they'll have more revenue opportunities than they do today. Um, and then, kind of looking past that, if you even compare them against like Pfizer and Biotech, they've only basically been in, in production for a year now, and they more or less matched what Pfizer was able to do, which is pretty outstanding. Um, they have like pretty superior effectiveness over Pfizer over Pfizer as well. And they sh- have shown basically like zero deaths per 10,000 people. And so it's, it's pretty uh, like impressive what they've done. And when you look forward, and I know they're they're looking at like HIV and other treatments out there or other ailments to go in hand treat, those things could end up being like multi-billion dollar opportunities as well. And ultimately, the testing phase and the approval process will be much longer because there's not going to be like emergency approval like there was with, with the COVID-19 vaccine but these are things that are going to propel the stock going forward and like this mRNA treatment it's relatively new and it's not going away and if they are in a position to really capture a large market share here which they've shown that they can like they they should absolutely skyrocket in years to come so the stock could continue to fall more in the short term but in the long run if it's up 5 10x from now whether you lost 10% or 20% of the all time highs I, I don't think you're really going to care. So, if you're looking at this from a long-term perspective, yeah, if you want to use this weakness to get getting great. If you're looking at it over the next six to six months to a year, it could keep sliding more. It's just it's tough to say um, over that over that short uh, time horizon.
0: Exactly, the bottom's really hard to time. And I think one thing that's really important to. Point out here is that for a lot of retail investors, Moderna was probably your first foray into biotech—not he- not healthcare, not pharmaceuticals, straight up biotech. And it's really important to keep in mind that the, the emergency approval for for the COVID nineteen vaccine was absolutely like absolutely unprecedented. And well, first of all, necessary and be safe, but see unprecedented. Um, And the fact that Moderna stood up a superior product their their vaccine, you know, helps people produce more antibodies net net versus Pfizer and the other vaccine providers like it's the superior vaccine, the fact they put out a better product at the same volume, technically faster than everyone else, is a huge testament to their organization, right? But now we're going to crash down into regular biotech numbers, folks. We're going to go into the regular approvals processes. Their next treatments are going to be years away. Um, Their HIV vaccine is now recruiting, but that still means that any positive revenue news is, you know, years away. So it's hard to predict the bottom, but just keep in mind that it's now going to be a very much long-term play. So audience, I really, really appreciate your questions here as we sort of get into the final like three minutes of the process right um yeah
1: totally no no and we definitely appreciate it and i think one thing i want to as well um is Rivian, which oh, we've been getting bring... questions
0: on. Oh, yeah, exactly. I was literally going to, you, you You ruined my segue because we're talking about <laughs> huge, huge, huge gains and everyone is still moping about missing it. Like a lot of people, you know, bought Tesla in 2015. It went up to about $45 a, a stock. They're like, that's good enough. And, you know, paper handed out and now we're just kicking themselves. Now that Tesla's a trillion dollar company. And so everyone's wondering... Will I do the same thing if I get on this Rivian IPO? So Justin, I would really love your perspective. We don't know the date of the IPO for Rivian yet. Now we're just shifting into EVs, but real fast lightning round. Rivian IPO, yes, no, maybe so. What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I mean, 100% yet.
0: 100% yes. Uh, We wrote about Lucid recently,
1: um, have been big fans of what they're working on. The market opportunity is so large, and it's not going to be a winner-take-all market. There needs to be electric first companies that are doing well, and so like even though like GM and other companies are doing great things, the DNA of these companies is just going to be so drastically different that even if they're semi-successful, the opportunity is huge. And so when you look at Lucid and you look at Rivian and you see like these crazy fifty billion dollar valuations for a company that's basically doing zero dollars in revenue, it's it's insane. I mean, nothing like as that has really <laughs> ever existed to to some extent. Um, but with Rivian specifically the things that are getting me excited is like i said the market is insanely big and so they also have support from amazon on top of their consumer vehicles which is really interesting and what they're doing very differently is they actually have a recurring revenue stream which is very obviously different for a car company and they do this through like their software and through their charging and over time this is where like the real moonshot is going to be is if they're able to patent their battery technology and then apply that patent to other verticals like utilities, and everything that is going to become electrified over time. And so they're thinking about, yes, they're a car company, but they're also thinking about applying their technology outside of cars, which isn't being done to the same extent with Lucid and some of these other electric-first car companies. And so this is going, again, this is going to be like a decade-plus play, but this is something that even if they're semi-successful is going to completely skyrocket in value. And so today, without a doubt, they are 100% Significantly overvalued. But if you're waiting to find the floor to get in, I just, this isn't the time to do it. By the time these actually start being worth what they're, by the time the companies start being worth what they're actually traded at in terms of valuation perspective, it could take an insanely long period of time because so much hype is built into it. So, I would what we're doing is we're getting involved now. Like I said, this is a similar to Bitcoin is like a generational investment. This is going to be something we're gonna be holding on to ten years from now. And similar to Lucid, similar to Tesla, I think Rivian is gonna be huge, even though you're paying up for it like a insane stock price. But that's just where we are in the EV market right now, unfortunately.
0: Exactly. And I know people are thinking about it in terms of like, well, no, it's, it's not going to be like that because Tesla is basically a borderline meme stock. You have to understand what the pandemic just demonstrated to us. It just demonstrated how fragile our supply chains are. And so in the last year and a half, Tesla's chief strength has not been, you know, being a luxury car company or having as much market share as it does with no advertising. It's chief Advantage has been an extremely limited supply chain. A, a, a internal combustion engine has thousands of moving parts that need to be manufactured across a whole continent, essentially. A battery is just, you know, a pile of lithium that you put together in a really complicated way. An electric motor is, you know, like basically just three parts at the end of the day. I know I'm massively oversimplifying, don't hate me, but keep that in mind, too. Like, we've seen how strained our supply chains are, and so we need to not only move away from uh fossil fuels we need to move away from these overcomplicated supply chains so companies can actually take a punch if things go sideways like that so keep that in mind moving forward always these huge rises don't just reveal like the obvious things about the market like yes we need to move into an electric future to make sure that we don't cook the planet but in the same vein we need to make <laughs> a simpler future because simple, don't you need to work smarter, not harder, dude. And that's what's really cool about our economy. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly becoming more efficient. And we're finding new and interesting ways to be more productive and to build better products with less work. So I'm really excited for that future. Justin Kramer, I'm really excited to have you here. Audience, a lot of you are filing in now because uh, th- we had an, we have an intern program here at Moby.co for administration. And our email intern put out that this podcast starts at 5.30 Eastern when it in fact, started at five. So if you're just showing up now, uh, we're sorry for that. We're going to be sending out the recording tomorrow morning. You will get access to the whole podcast recording. Forgive us for that flub as we get the infrastructure going on this side here. We appreciate your patience. But Justin Kramer, I know we are literally at your time limit. So any final thoughts from you, man, before I go ahead and read the credits here, my dude?
1: No, yeah, I think that's like super comprehensive. So thanks for like walking us through all those questions and and giving the overview. Super helpful, at least from my perspective. Um, Yeah, the only thing I'll, I'll say is you know we're we're at an interesting time now and we say this every single week for those of you who've been joining anyone who's been following our research we say this all the time but like this is exactly why being like a long-term generational investor is how to build wealth like Peter you talked about it before with like companies like Tesla like you need to fundamentally buy companies and not get out too early and hold on to them so like talk about crypto, you talk about stocks, you talk about whatever it is having that long-term like mindset is how you build up wealth over time if you're trying to play the stock market and you know buy low sell high over a week to week basis you're it's a it's a tough game to win i mean even the best hedge funds in the world 80% of them are underperforming the market and so if you think about how challenging that is for them to do year in and year out it's going to be difficult for you to do that on a week to week basis in terms of trade the ones who are holding on to stocks for for year for multi year periods that's where there's real wealth to be made. And so when you think about certain stocks, certain companies, if they're able to 10, 20, 50, 100x, the stocks that don't do as well, those will pay for them and then some. And so that's how you have to think about it in terms of taking calculated risks. And then the other portion of your portfolio can be in safer things until you're ready to deploy capital elsewhere. So say this every week, going to say it again going forward. These are the types of things that you need to do to kind of make yourself a a better investor, to be honest.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Be a build that diverse portfolio. Stay in stay in the game for a long period of time, and you'll be very surprised just how these things correct over time. Justin Krämer, it's really awesome having you on. I know you are literally at your time limit. Audience, thank you so much for your awesome questions. Thank you so much for being here with us. A lot of questions. Didn't I didn't get a chance to answer a lot of questions or address a lot of comments? So I'll be hitting you guys up in DMs and perhaps even just doing like a video response to a lot of these. Regardless, folks, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm going to re- go ahead and read the credits now. Audience. Just you know this podcast was produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr-Northrup. Our chief uh, analyst here today was Justin Kramer, the co-founder and chief analyst here at Moby.co. If you want to learn more from us, feel free to check us out on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash C slash MobyInvest. We're also on Instagram, TikTok, everywhere else. Hit us up here in Discord if you have any questions. Otherwise, audience, it's been so great having you here. Thank you so much for all your awesome questions. And as always, I'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.